Welcome to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Tom Maluli, and with me today is Brendan Maluli. Let's uh, let's get it started, right? So welcome to episode 230. Today we've got a couple of topics that we want to talk about. We want to address the recent volatility in the stock market. But Brendan, I think uh, to begin episode 230, we want to talk about this Forbes article that we were talking about before we turned the microphones on. It seems that in this article that we saw in Forbes, about 52% of older workers are getting, like it or not, pushed out of their jobs. And it's a topic that we talk about as planners. Uh, it comes up a lot. Yeah, it's it's something I think you want to discuss as uh, retirement is approaching, because oftentimes you're, you're baking into a plan that things are gonna things are gonna continue as they do today like the the job is still going to be there 3 years out or 4 years out or 5 years out and and you'll continue making the same amounts uh, it's worth considering that things could change over that period of time and and what that might look like right obviously, like there are obviously like a couple of levers you can pull when you're sitting down to do a financial plan and working longer or living on less are like two that you can pull but to say without even like trying to do a plan like oh I'll just work longer it, it doesn't work that way. Like, Well, it doesn't work that way in the sense that you think you're going to keep your current job. Like it or not, it seems like there's age discrimination in the workplace. This is going to sound really trite to say, but the first time I ever saw it in Living Color was in the movie Wall Street. And so that was uh, filmed in 1987. And there was an old broker who used to wear a suit and tie every day, nice little pocket square. And uh, he just never did any production. He just sat around all day. And at one point during the movie, they dismissed him because he was just, you know, taking up space. I don't like, know if that's the case. I mean, a lot, I think a lot of companies are just faced with the decision that, I mean, uh, what would be more offensive to the to the worker who's been somewhere for a long time? We're letting you go or you have to take a 50% pay cut to stay. I think most of them would walk out the door if you told them they were getting a 50% pay cut. So they would quit anyway. Uh, I just heard a story about that last night, and that prompted someone that we know to get up and walk out because they were actually looking at additional work being put on their plate and uh, certainly no pay increase in the future and the possibility of a change in salary lower. Right. So from the company standpoint, sending people off to greener pastures when they've reached a certain point in their career just makes sense because you're going to offend them either way, whether you say their job is not going to be there anymore or they're going to give it to somebody who they can pay half that much who is 30 years younger than them. I mean, it's heartless. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> are they supposed to like a lot of people in today's world will also leave their job for $10,000 more a year. So that's kind of heartless too. Like there's, there's just no loyalty between employees and employers anymore in either direction. It doesn't seem that way. So just to say that like, oh, like I will work longer. Yes. Like you, your point is that they could do that, but it may not be how they want. Like it may not be in the exact same job they're in now. It might be something doing something else, something else that they believe to be like beneath them or something. So if you working want, at Home Depot, right? Like there's nothing wrong with that at all, um, but you have to be receptive to the idea. So if you're forced out of a job or a career that you've had for 20 or 30 years and, and your financial plan was that you were going to work for five or even 10 more years when, you know, when this happens to you, are you, are you going to be receptive to the idea that, that it's going to be doing something like that as opposed to 
the desk job that you had before that or whatever it is that you were coming from? It's a good point. And something that I'm, I feel certain that many people don't even think about that when they say, oh, I'll just work a few more years. It's good. It's good to do this as part of like a planning process, not to like toot our own horn, but like to have these conversations with somebody who, who might be able to just like bring up the idea that we're discussing, yeah. that it may not be in the exact format that it exists today. It, it could be doing something else. What what would that be for you? What would be fulfilling for you and be maybe a partial retirement and, and something that you would still bring in an income doing so you don't have to completely begin drawing from your retirement savings a decade earlier than you thought or five years sooner than you thought when it's not going to work. Well, Robert De Niro filmed The Intern, and I think he was 74 when he made that movie. <laughs> yeah. So, it's been a tail off in, in quality with uh, De Niro films. Huh? It's gone pretty much <clears throat> straight downhill since Goodfellas. Nah, I liked Meet the Parents. Oh, that's true. I forgot about but that. But yeah, he was. Right. I think he was already like he he was crusting at that point. Maybe he made a couple of so-so movies in the uh, in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, Casey and I still laugh about uh, Midnight Run, that movie with uh, Charles Grodin. Yeah, that was like a a campy movie. It was one of those ones that you watch with like three cups of coffee on a Saturday morning, and it's like, <laughs> I just can't seem to put this like i can't seem to turn the channel because it's like it's it's actually interesting yeah um it was pretty good but now even that movie's over 25 years old yeah meet meet the parents for me uh at least the first the second one was okay the first one uh the original if that is on tv it's one of those movies that i like i have to stop on it yeah how's your portfolio greg Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. So this was a, uh, a Forbes article and it said that uh, what, what sparked all this was the article in Forbes said 52% of older workers are pushed out of their jobs. So coin toss, like, yeah, look to your left, look to your right. One of these people will be forced out of their jobs. Yeah. Don't bank on being able to work longer because it may not happen. And as we've just said, it may not happen in the structure or format that you think. I think that's and but I think your your point is important, though. Uh, Just because you're forced out of the current job that you have right now doesn't mean that you're incapable of working in any capacity in the future. It just may not make as much or it may be in a totally different role or both. Maybe just being open to the idea that 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 may happen. Like it's basically coin toss odds that that happens to anybody and it doesn't mean anything negative about you. It's just the way the world is right now. I think another part of that topic that people rarely talk about and they absolutely never talk about with their financial planner is the keeping busy part. So you get to a certain age, you have to keep busy. Or, you know, if you really slow down, your body slows down and you can get illnesses and get sick and lazy and you are accelerating towards the end of your life. What what do you think about this though? I think there there are some people out there that retire or are approaching retirement and they're like, "Nah, I'm I'm just going to hang out." And, and but what what do you think about 
like working in retirement, like being something that you kind of have to like find on your own. Like you could start retirement with the plan of I'm just going to hang out. And, and then the, maybe the percentage of people who start with that, uh, is, is high that, and the percentage is high that end up returning to do like work or volunteer work, part-time, something they care about. Cause it's, it's, it's tough to know beforehand. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm going to retire from my full-time job. And this is exactly what I want to do part-time in retirement. Some people have an idea, but I think a lot of them have no clue because why would you think about that? I agree with you. I think a lot of people don't have the thought yet because they're so busy working that they're not thinking about this stuff. And then once they stop and they can kind of smell the roses a little bit, then they say, okay, now what do I really want to do? It's like you take like six months or a year after like the the first retirement and then kind of figure out that at least for I think the majority of people that it's kind of boring not having something to do every day, even even if it was a relief to retire from your first career. This kind of tips over or spills over into a topic that we actually do talk about with clients as they're preparing to retire. You may go on a shopping spree, so to speak, your first two, three years while you're retired. You may do these trips that you always dreamed about doing. You may do things that you never had time to do, or now you have the time and the money to do. You're going to put an addition on the house. You're going to downsize. You're going to travel that like you've never traveled before. I, I hate to use the phrase, get it out of your system, hmm. but you spend those first two, five, maybe even 10 years after you're retired where you do all of this stuff and then you settle into a routine. So we've gone through with clients uh, recently here in the office where we show them how their spending may actually accelerate and increase the first few years of their retirement and then go below the normal that they have now you average it all out they're going to have they're going to be spending probably close to or just a little less than they're currently spending now over time yeah so i think that's where you you have these conversations you want to you want to explain what we just explained and and you can project that by using one baseline number that just stretches out into the future but that's like you could operate with that as the baseline assumption, but this is why like planning is like a, a process that you return to. So you maybe you run a plan initially with with all of these things being discussed, and then each year you want to see, okay, so what what did we do? Did 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 you go on the trips? Like, did you do this or that? Like, what do what do we think? Are you going to do it again next year? Was it a blast? Like, did you go on a cruise? Did you love it? Right. Uh, do we want to bake that into next year's assumptions? And you can begin to. Um, you, you start with a plan in, plan in mind, but you obviously have the course correct along the way. And building room for error, not that it's an error to spend more or less than projected, but, but building in some fluff, so to speak, in these numbers and not giving it a, a false sense of precision in the sense that we're going to project out to every penny you're going to spend and every uh, tenth of a percentage point the investments are going to return because we're always operating under assumptions and we're making projections that may or may not come true, but it doesn't mean the exercise itself is pointless or that that you shouldn't plan for it at all. Because I think having the discussions and laying these things out is incredibly important because it gets it it gets it out in the open, and then everybody's aware of the different possibilities that lay lay ahead of us. So you mentioned talking about returns uh, and how we can't accurately pinpoint 
what returns are going to be. We've had a little bit of volatility recently yeah. in the market. A uh, friend of the firm, Ben Carlson, wrote a terrific post, and we'll link to it in the show notes, about looking back at some of the big down days in the market. We had a day in the middle of October here in 2018 where the market, the Dow Jones fell you know, 820 points or something like that. Right. It was over 800 points. And then the following day, the market fell another 550 points. So we pretty much got a five, 6% drawdown over the course of like two days. Right. The peak of where you're measuring that from actually is, you know, a couple of weeks ago at this point, but all of the move came at once, which makes it seem frightening. So much like worse than just five or six percent like saying it was just five or six percent like that doesn't do it justice you know because you see on what you see in like a one-day period just feels like it can't possibly only be that bad there were plenty of things that we both saw on twitter that said oh we're back to where we were in august this is the first three percent down day since the one that we had in february see that's something else that i i think a lot of people overlooked and i think it was jason zweig who also tweeted something that said this is uh the last time we had a move like this was back in february that everybody forgot about yeah this is this is the first three percent drawdown since the last one that you don't remember anymore like right so which is which is true that's like you know it sounds flip to put it that way but like you forgot about it. it's true like we have moved on with our lives yeah and that was, you know, about eight months ago. Not right. that long. It was this calendar year. We had, you know, for folks who are listening, we had uh, a terrific first three weeks of January where the market went up very nicely to start the <laughs> very year. Very nicely. I mean, we went up like 10% for no reason at all. Right. So we overshot to the upside and then we overshot to the downside and then mm -hmm. we kind of meandered our way back up over the course of the year. And now we're taking... A dip back down again. We'll That's see. Right. We'll see what happens. I mean, nobody knows what the next, even you know, today or Monday or whatever it may be, uh, what it holds for us. But I mean, yeah, we're we're gonna see these moves from time to time. It's it's easy to forget after a year like like 2017, where I think the max drawdown on the S and P was like 2.8 percent for calendar year 2017. That so, sounds about right. Like, and I remember at the end of the year, um, and it, again, we were trotting this out in. February when when we were dropping that but like last year was the part that wasn't normal not right. not what we're experiencing now it's important to remember that we have a year like 2017 where the market just seemed to very quietly without big giant steps uh, just quietly continue to move higher with not a lot of big drawdowns that is the fluke yeah the printing That's press the exception. is not reality the printing right. press is the exception to the rule so Ben's article talked about how uh, he actually took a look at days where the markets dropped 3% or more going all the way back to 1928. So we now have 90 years of data in front of us. And he found that over 90 years, um, we've seen 325 days with losses of 3% or more, which means it happens roughly three and a half times a year on average. And as he said, it's rare, but it's uh, not completely out of the ordinary. He actually went on in the course of his article uh, to show that a lot of these volatile days happened during the Great Depression. So from 1928 through 1939, a, a significant chunk of these happened early on. And so he actually reran the numbers 
and said that, uh, hey, if you look at these numbers from 1939 going forward, it would show that there was, from 1939 through today, there's 143 days where the market dropped 3% or more. So still something that's happening on average once or twice a year. Right. Once or twice a year. So from... 1939 on 102 of those days were during, uh, he also mentioned that they were during double digit drops mm -hmm. in the market. What's well, interesting too, like we know, don't have the exact numbers, but that double digit drops, meaning something greater than 10% happen on average once a year. Once a year. The fact that these things happen during those instances makes sense. Uh, and, and I think he looked at like the other side of the coin too how many 3% or more up days has the market seen? And, and you see them during similar similar patches. So that a lot of those, more than half of them, I think Ben found occurred during 10% uh, or more drawdowns too. So right. you're gonna have these violent moves like back and forth during periods of volatility in the market. And, and That's ben, what these are, vol volatile days happen during volatile periods. Right. And so we have those volatile down days followed by volatile up days all in the same period of time. So you can't pick and choose your spots. I think this is a good, uh, a good way to think about it. It's never a good time to be making changes to your strategy during periods like this because if you react to a big move down and say... I can't handle this. Like we need to, we need to readjust. You could adjust, and then the next day could rip up three or four percent right after you bail out. Like it, I think the time to be making adjustments is not during periods of volatility. So it's okay to recognize, like over the course of the last couple of days or the last time the market pulled back in February, like wow, that was really uncomfortable for me. And we moved along just fine after it, but like I, I couldn't handle that. So maybe I should be taking like less risk in my portfolio. Right. Or like, ah, oh, you know, that was that was a blip. I wasn't even paying attention. I'm okay. It really depends on a case by case basis uh, with uh, investors on what's the right approach for them. I think the thing that really frustrates most people in and around the investing world is the answer to why. Why did this happen? Why did it happen on a Wednesday and a Thursday? Uh, is this the beginning? Is this the end of something? I mean, let's face it, stocks have been weak for a couple of weeks now. Um, we've seen it just watching our own internal markers, but- Nobody it, knew I, this was coming now. No, and I think the 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 most frustrating part for investors is they're There's trying no to find the answer. Why. They're trying to find the answer to why. They're trying to answer an unanswerable question. And I think it's dangerous to think that you have the answer to the question because it's easy to take away the wrong lessons from why something happened. Like if you assign a reason to like this pullback, what do you learn from that and what does it cause you to do in the future? Does it lead you to believe that like you could predict like the next time that whatever the thing you assigned the blame to uh, for this one, when that happens again, are you going to react to it preemptively when next time it could just be a false signal? Right. And it it's probably going to be because if there were reliable signals to avoid 5% dips in the market, then I think everybody would do it because they're uncomfortable no matter who you are. But yeah, it's it, it's always tough. I uh, everybody looks for clues to try and string together reasons in their mind 
why it worked. That's why we have things like the Super Bowl indicator. I mean, it doesn't work uh, until it does, and then and, and then, then you try to, and then you try to use it to make money, and it doesn't work. Right. So I don't. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, been it close. basically it it does or it doesn't work based on the last test of whether it worked of or not. The theory. Right. And yeah. so if it doesn't work reliably, then yeah. why why are we trying to explain things with it? So Ben closed his article with. Uh, you know, I, I would love to say this from time to time. It seems almost too simple to say, but it's the truth. Sometimes the reason stocks fall is because they rose too much before they fell. And sometimes the reason stocks rise too much is because they fell too much before. It's kind of interesting, though, like why we we always need reasons for like a 5% down move. But like I had said before, like the market ripped up like 10% in January this year. Why did that happen? Good question. And no one ever asked that question. We're okay with it. We're like, oh yeah, of course stocks should have gone up 10%. Like I I deserve to make... (laughs) If they're a year like 2017. I deserve to make more money. We never asked the question on that side of the equation. It's always, ah, but why did we go down 6% in just a couple of days here? Like we need an explanation for that, but then we should need an explanation for why the market was up so much too, because there was no reason for that. we were totally cool with it. I think we all need to steal a steal a page from Jeff Wilpon. Apparently, in Jeff's world, it's a good day only when the Mets win and the Yankees lose. You know, in our world, it would be great if we had market up, no news. You know, like it has <laughs> to be a double. I actually uh, thought of that work. a little differently because that's such. Uh, that is the mentality that investors have. They yeah. want to they want to make money, and they also want to see like everybody else lose. Like yes. they have to win too. So it's that is like the epitome of the way most people view investing. Yeah. Not only do I have to win, but like my enemies have to lose, as if, as if we have like enemies or right. nemesis in the market or something. But we'll have to get out of Jeff's world and come back to reality in our next episode. Yeah. But thanks for listening to episode two thirty, and we will catch up with you on the next one.